Hey, just before we get to the show, I wanted to take a quick minute to explain how you can get access to my online course. Since launching the Lifestyle Investor book and the podcast, I've had a lot of people reaching out asking how I was able to multiply my net worth to over eight figures in such a short period of time and how they can start investing just like I do. While the podcast is loaded with lots of alternative investment advice from both myself and my guests, it's not intended to be a comprehensive system that walks you through my step-by-step process. That's why I decided to create the Lifestyle Investor Course, a complete roadmap for anyone who wants to take a deeper dive into the world of lifestyle investing. If you want all my strategies for creating passive income and building wealth conveniently packaged up into a simple to follow course, visit justindonald.com forward slash course for all the details. Welcome to the Lifestyle Investor Podcast. Imagine being able to earn passive income, build long-term wealth while gaining total freedom from your business or job. That's what lifestyle investing is all about. I'm your host, Justin Donald, and in less than two years, my investments drove enough passive income for both my wife and me to quit our jobs. And now I want to show you how to do the same. I want to teach you how to create wealth without creating a job. You'll learn the exact same investment strategies I use to multiply my net worth to over eight figures all before the age of 40. If you want to learn all about low-risk cash flow investing, achieve financial freedom, and live the life you truly desire, this podcast is going to show you exactly how to do it. By his 35th birthday, Mike Michalowicz had founded and sold two multi-million dollar companies. Confident that he had the formula to success, he became an angel investor. But to his surprise, what he thought he knew about building a successful company was all wrong, which led to him losing his entire fortune. He lost his house, his cars, and even had to tell his nine-year-old daughter that her horse riding lessons were no longer affordable. Driven to find better ways to grow healthy, strong companies, he created the Profit First system, which is now used by hundreds of thousands of companies across the globe to drive real profit. Since starting over, Mike has built two new multi-million dollar ventures, and he has had 52 consecutive quarters of profit distributions for his businesses. In today's episode, Mike explains how he lost everything betting on seemingly successful companies, the problem with growing a business too slow or too fast, and the simple formula that leads to a truly profitable and successful business. One more thing before we get to today's interview, Mike has a gift for Lifestyle Investor Podcast listeners. To help you take your entrepreneurial journey to a whole new level, he's sharing his four most popular keynote recordings, including Profit First, Pumpkin Plan, Different is Better, and Fix This Next, all of which are based on his best-selling books. To get access to these free recordings, visit justindonald.com forward slash 42. Thanks for listening. And without further delay, my conversation with Mike Michalowicz.
Well, Mike, I'm so excited to have you on the show here today. And it's just so fun uh, because I was on your episode, on your podcast not too long ago. And yeah. you're such a humble guy that I didn't even know at the time all these incredible accolades that you had. And, uh, you know, a lot of people write books these days. And you wrote a book that was recommended to me by three or four different people inside of like a two month time frame. And I start reading this thing. And I'm like, man, this is incredible. How did I not even know about this prior to our session together? So I'm just excited to have you on the show, man. Well, those are the four people I know. And I'm like, hey, everyone call Justin, tell him about my book. <laughs> <laughs> well, you did great work in that thing. And I got to tell you, your sense of humor is fantastic. I am in tears laughing at all. Oh, I the, love it. I love yes, it. Yes, because I listened to your, you know, the audio book. And yeah, that's the way to read. Totally. There's so much personality. You just, you're hysterical in it. So I just wanted to pay you that compliment. Thank and, you, brother. Yeah, the the content that you uh, that you just shelled out is wonderful, and and I'll tell you, our audience is a lot of entrepreneurs. So I feel like what you talk about, what you preach, is just so spot on for the target market that we have. So uh, I'm excited to dig in, and uh, I love also that you dedicated your book to your daughter, which I also did in mine. So I think that that's uh, that's really cool, man. Thank you. Thank you. Well, it's great to connect. Um, I got a question for you because uh, you have had some ups and downs and it's so easy to see people when they're at their high point and it's like, oh, this guy's got it all figured out. You know, he just, everything's gone right in, in their life. You didn't have that. And I want to get into that a little bit, but at the same time, kind of like the overarching theme. I mean, your book is called Profit First, and, and it's all about helping entrepreneurs profit and to take mm -hmm. their profit early on, uh, which I agree is imperative. I'm curious how you came to that, because I know you wrote other books prior to this, and I know this was like a small concept in these that became a whole book. That's right. So yeah, so I, I've written quite a few books, and uh, Profit First was something that was conceived years and years and years prior to me writing it, it came out of necessity. So the quick backstory is this. I, I was an entrepreneur ever since college. I've always been an entrepreneur and I had some early successes. I had two exits. I, my first company was in the tech services space. A private equity group bought it. My second company was in computer crime investigation. A Fortune 500 bought it and I became a, a self-made millionaire in my early thirties. But here's the thing. I became also a dick. I didn't realize it. And I'm like, look at how smart I am. Like, I am so awesome. I have Midas's touch. Anything I touch turns to gold. So I'm like, I'm going to become an angel investor and like start all these businesses and they're going to be successful because I'm in the business. And um, I think this was a divine lesson from above. I started all these businesses and it was, I was a calamity. All of them collapsed. They weren't congruent. I, I didn't know what I was doing. I was just blowing money. And um, the turning moment, probably the most important moment in my life, I remember the day, it was February 14th, Valentine's Day in 2008. And uh, my accountant called me and he said, Mike, I can't believe I'm going to say this to you. Uh, he's like, we've been working together for all these years. You've been so successful. He's like, uh, you got to declare bankruptcy. You are done. Like there's nothing left. He goes, or liquidate your remaining assets. And so I chose option two. I, I, I felt that my creditors 
weren't responsible for my failure. I'm the one who did it to myself. And um, so I lost my house 30 days later. I lost my cars, everything. I came home to my family on that day and told them we're losing everything. And I was sobbing. My wife was stunned because I had been admittedly lying to them by omission. Like everything's fine. Everything's fine when it wasn't. And uh, my daughter and my son, my two sons were at the table, my, my wife. And I, I look at my daughter and I'm like, I know you like to go horseback riding and it's $20. It was $20 a session for like a group session. She was nine. And I'm like, you can't, you can't go horseback riding anymore. I can't afford it. And uh, she stood up and she just, she was crying. She ran the room as fast as she could. And I thought she was mad and I get it. I, I wanted to run away too, but it wasn't either of those. She ran her bedroom to grab her piggy bank and she ran back to me as fast as little gangly legs could. She ran to me, she plops on the table. She goes, Daddy, I know you can't provide for us anymore, but I'll do it for us. And uh, I get emotional. It was, um, she was saving to buy a horse. And she was willing to sacrifice her life's earnings for, for the dick, for me, the, the jerk who, uh, I was so mad at myself. That moment became the turning point in my life that, that first of all, I hope my arrogance has been permanently ripped out of me. And I don't know if it'll return. I just pray that I, I recognize um, how, how just human we all are and particularly how human I am. But the other thing too is um, I realized I didn't understand entrepreneurship. Good fortune and good timing played in favor, but I didn't really understand the principles, including profitability. My, most businesses I sold were never profitable. They grew in sales and thank God someone swooped in because at a certain point they would have collapsed because they weren't sustainably profitable. So I started to investigate what makes someone something profitable? And a lot of lessons, you actually teach it in Lifestyle Investor, a lot of those lessons in your personal finances directly translate to the management of a business. And so that's, that's how the book came about. And just to kind of put a little bow tie on this, I started that in 2008. I started researching. I implemented it for myself. In 2021, uh, so it's 13 years later now, I've had... 51 or 52 consecutive quarters of profit distributions from my businesses. And listen, the first profit distribution was $8, but it was the first time ever money came out of my business where I didn't have to expense it. I wasn't putting on a credit card. The business just said, here's money, do what you want with it. And I, I bought a cup of coffee. It was amazing. And it's continued on perpetuity. And it was maybe now six, seven years ago. I'm like, this has to be a book. And I made it into a book. That is incredible, Mike. And I got to tell you, I mean, when you told your story of Adela, I mean, my I'm like holding back tears myself because I can envision the same thing. And, you know, one thing that's true is you may not have shown up as the best entrepreneur, but to have your daughter willing to do that, I know you're showing up as a great dad at home. And so oh, thank you. Uh, and it's really cool, like hearing that, uh, you know, just this this ego trip that you went through, because not knowing any of that, I described you to someone else that I know. And I said, Mike is like one of the most humble guys I've met because he has so much he can brag about yet. He never does. And, uh, you know, I think that that is a testament to like who you've become the shift that you've had. And oh, thank you. Yeah. And I also want to point out, like, it's very glamorous to be like, Oh, I sold my business and I got X multiple and it was great. But what a lot of people don't realize is you were living paycheck to paycheck until that business was sold, right? Yeah. And that's terrifying. So the interesting thing is that the businesses that bought my business, there were two separate companies, the two different exits. 
bought it both in a, a strategic acquisition, meaning they saw what I was doing as a plug into what they were doing. And so profitability was not a key factor. It, it was part of the due diligence and so forth, but they, they just wanted to say, oh, one plus one equals five kind of thing. I was so in this pump and dump mentality, particularly with the second business. It's like, okay, so you build a business and it has a lot of sales going on and people want to buy it. Oh, build it faster, make more revenue and it'll be more palatable. And the second company sold within two and a half years. We were on a very fast growth rate. And like, this is it. And that's why I became an angel investor. It's like, I can just build companies real fast. The vast, vast majority of uh, people or companies that buy companies care about the fiscal integrity of the business. Like, like you know, an investor doesn't buy a business to say, oh, here, let me just throw some money out there and hopefully it'll ruin me. No, an investor wants something that's an investment. They want to know there's a return. And um, the proof positive of a healthy company is one that shows profit quarter in and quarter out. If I can point to my bank account and say, look, the, the business bank account has grown each quarter. Here's the statements. Look at this last quarter. We have more cash than we've ever had. That is that, that causes the Pavlonian response of investors. They salivate all over themselves because you have a money-making machine. That's what we need to do. And uh, subsequently, all my businesses that I've had, all, I've had three businesses since, but after that angel investing business, I started three subsequent businesses, all of them using profit first. The most fascinating thing is I don't want to sell them. Like they're, they're fiscally healthy. I've now had, uh, I've been approached to acquire some businesses and I'm like, mm, it makes money. And, and the best part is this, when you have something you don't want to get rid of and it's serving you and someone else wants it, there's inherent bidding for your business. Now like, well, do we have to offer you more money? Maybe, but I'm not interested. And it actually starts, you become the most, you know, pretty girl at the dance, as, as they say. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because I think in the business world, there's this unhealthy culture of grow revenue at all costs. Don't worry about profitability, especially if you're in the tech space. You're going to get bought as a multiple of revenue anyway. So profit doesn't matter. But what people I think need to remember is that, first of all, most businesses don't even make it beyond like the first year. The ones that do generally don't scale well. The ones that do scale well, that are already outliers of outliers that have a chance to get purchased. Sometimes people hold out and they don't sell, but that might be the only moment that it ever does sell. And so you're, you have like all these long shots all the way. So if you're going to build a business and hope that it sells based on revenue, it's going to be a mad dash of this paycheck to paycheck, borrowing from, you know, one person to pay someone else in it's stressful. And I've experienced this as an entrepreneur. I know you have too. Yeah. It's, it's the lottery ticket bet of business is, oh, if I build this fast enough and big enough, someone will buy it. The sad thing is all of the entrepreneurial media, if you will, lauds the lottery winner. So, you know, you'll see the cover, you go to any airport, go to the business section and look at all the magazines and you'll see the same 30 or 40 faces over and over again. Oh, there's Mark Zuckerberg yet again. Oh, there's Elon Musk yet again. Oh, there's Sarah Blakely yet again. They're showing the lottery winners and kudos to them, but the real journey of entrepreneurship is the one that's not promoted. They're the 0.0001% lottery winners. The 99.x% who successfully grow a business 
It's in the trenches. It's a viable business from day one. It's consistently profitable. They live, you know, a comfortable lifestyle. They're not working like animals. Those are the successful businesses. And they, they're the ones that get acquired if that's what you so desire, or they're the ones that you see as a legacy and you give to your family or whatever. But they're the ones that the media, it's just not a compelling story. So it's not going to be there. But that's the truth of the entrepreneurial, the healthy entrepreneurial journey. Yeah. And you made a really good point in your book where like everyone's trying to write things off. So you you pay $10 to avoid paying $3 in taxes <laughs> yeah, yeah. like that. And that's so true. People do this all the time, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and, and our accountants, uh, they'll back that. So not to bash up accountants here, but think about this, like, you know, year end's coming, you have some money in the business and the accountant's like, oh, you should buy some more equipment. You need equipment, right? Because it'll reduce taxes. Spend $10 and you'll save three. And what, and people do it. And I did it. I'm like, oh, I have that new Mac computer sitting there now, but then the Mac computer just sits there and there's no use for it. And there's that $3,000 computer outside the window where if I simply took the cash, no, I wouldn't have 3,000 in my pocket. I'd have 2,200 in my pocket. Now I got zero in my pocket. What I tell people is before you frivolously spend money to reduce taxes, envision that thing you're getting as actual cash, you know, a stack of $100 bills. Now envision ripping up those $100 bills. That's what we're doing. We're just ripping it up. It's cash spent, not going to be used. So just rip it up and throw it out the window and then say, hey, I have saved on taxes. How's that feel? It feels like shit. It feels like raw, stinking sewage. And that's if we have that visualization that you realize truly how bad it is. Buying stuff that we're not going to use that is not of true value to the business, that does not have a true ROI is a waste of money, a major waste of money. Yeah. And and then you think about just the way that um, business is done today with gap accounting, which you talk about in your book. And just it, really the way that business has been done and calculated um, from you know a century ago, a couple centuries ago. And we've never changed it. It's the same as it was, which is take profit after all the expenses have been paid and all these other things. So it's like when there's whatever left over, which is virtually nothing, then you take profit versus you've got a better strategy. And I'd love for you to articulate that. Yeah. So that's the essence of profit first. So here's why I think gap doesn't work. Gap tells us that the formula, the foundational formula is sales minus expenses equals profit. And to your point, it's so pervasive in our modern culture that we call profit the bottom line, the year end. All of these things reference that profit is the last consideration. Now, logically, the formula makes sense, but behaviorally, it does not serve us. Is human nature, when something comes last, it's insignificant. Like, if you love your family, you say, I love my family, my children, I put them first. You don't say, I love my family, my children, I put them last. You know, if health matters, you don't say, you know what, starting today, I'm going to finally put my health last. All those things say can be ignored. It's the manana syndrome. So what I teach in profit first is we flip the formula. It's sales minus profit equals expenses. And what I mean in execution is it's the pay yourself first principle applied to business. Every time cash comes in a deposit, take the profit percentage you want. I want to have a 20% baseline profit. So $1,000 comes in, I take $200, 20%. I allocate that money toward a profit account, an actual physical account. I hide the money. And then the remainder is what I run my business off of. That's a behavioral system. So when something comes first and is removed out of sight, we, we do it first. So it happens. When we remove it out of sight, there's no temptation. We can't get access to it. We'll start to adjust our behaviors to live off of what's truly available to operate our business at $800.
Hey, sorry to interrupt. I just wanted to take a quick minute to tell you about my online course. As a listener, you probably know my story. In under two years, I had multiplied my net worth to over eight figures and my investments were generating enough passive income for my wife and me to quit our jobs. Since launching the Lifestyle Investor book and podcast, I've had a lot of people reaching out asking how I was able to accomplish this in such a short period of time and how they can start investing just like I do. My methods are unconventional, but I've always wanted to share my strategies and help as many people as possible accomplish financial freedom. And while the podcast is loaded with lots of alternative investment advice from both myself and my guests, it's not intended to be a comprehensive system that walks you through my step-by-step process. That's why I decided to create the Lifestyle Investor course, a roadmap for anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of lifestyle investing. Anyone can use my system, no matter what level they're at in their investing career. So if you want all my strategies for creating passive income and building wealth conveniently packaged up into a simple to follow course, visit justindonald.com forward slash course for all the details. Now let's get back to the show. Yeah. And I think that's brilliant. One of the things I did when I was early on in my career is I had these auto debits out of my account. And I would just set it up ahead of time that this money would go and it would go into a money market account or it would go into a separate savings account or go wherever it went. But every single week, this would happen without fail because I didn't trust myself to do it when emotionally I was looking at the numbers and I saw that maybe we had an off week or maybe we had a great week and, you know, but maybe I'd want to spend more of that. So, I just think it's good to like kind of booby trap yourself for success. And this is one great way of doing it where you just pay the profit. You just do it. It's it's very evident with the accounting system that we use that there. I mean, it needs to be updated. So what you're talking about is great because it hasn't been updated forever. And because it hasn't been updated, you have all these companies that use these manipulative practices to make them look more profitable than they are, including companies that have like gone out of business or were in the process of losing everything yet still showed up looking like they had a ton of money. So to Justin, I was delivering a keynote. This is pre-COVID on Profit First. And for me, it was a sizable audience. There was hundreds of people and I'm delivering this keynote and I'm like, you can, you know, these businesses in this room, you can do 20% or something. And at the end, which is my favorite part of the presentation, that's when people come and share their stories and I'm listening to folks. And this one entrepreneur comes to me and she says, I love your system, but I don't need it. I said, oh, great. Well, why don't you need it? She goes, because we're wildly profitable. I'm like, that's awesome. Do you mind sharing some of the numbers? She's like, well, we're a multi-million dollar business. And let me tell you this, let me tell you this. We did 28% in profit last year. I'm like, wow, like that is a healthy business. And then I asked a question, which is the key question I asked. I said, so, so what'd you do with the money? She goes, well, we plowed it back in the business. And that's when my little devil horns kick out. That's when the dick comes back out. I'm like, oh, you plowed it back in the business. We've actually employed these soft terms, reinvest, plowbacks, pushbacks. All these words say it really wasn't profit. We gave the accounting phrase profit, but we spent the money. Well, cash flow is, is very simple to measure. Either you spend it, expense, or it goes to the profit, the, the owner of the business profit. And that's literally the only two terms. If the money's spent, it's an expense. If the money goes to the owner, it's profit. If the money's sitting there 
it is not, neither a profit or expense until it's determined where it goes. And what she said is, oh, we had money sitting there and we decided instead of giving it to the owners, we're giving it to the business expense, but we're going to call it profit. And she's like, we're wildly profitable. En Enron was profitable until they were all sitting in jail. There wasn't money there. The accounting, and they were, they were bending the rules of accounting, but they were still adhering to what was acceptable. They bent the rules enough that it looked amazingly profitable and there wasn't a penny there. We have to show profit in a cash basis, I feel, every single time. And profit goes to you, the owner. Yeah. And, and moreover, even if it's just for your own sake, for you understanding the numbers of your business, not beyond what you can get in, in tax benefits or whatever, just for you to be able to take the cash out that you need to live to pay yourself as the entrepreneur, I think looking at it from a cash basis is imperative as well. Yeah. So well said. Uh, I love it. I absolutely love it. You know, there's something else that you said that I thought was really powerful uh, in your book where you said money problems occur when sales slow down. That one's obvious. Yeah. Or when sales speed up. Right. And I think it's counterintuitive to think about money problems when sales are just off the hook and going great. But if you've been an entrepreneur, you know. Yeah, totally. And there's pundits who say sales cures everything. Here's the problem with sales increasing. Sales, particularly in small business, uh, is organizational stress. That's the direct translation. Justin, think, if you sell me something, now you have the obligation to deliver on that promise, wherever, the, wherever you sold me, that product, that service. If you sell something to someone else and you sold something to me, now you have two promises out there. The more you sell, the more commitments you are making, you need to deliver on it. So you see these businesses, and I was one of them, like, I just got to sell my way out of this. We need money. I was putting more and more burden on the organization and as a small business owner, I'm trying to do it myself. I'm stressed out. I'm going crazy. I need to bring on resources. They're ill-prepared. My expenses uh, start increasing and it's extremely inefficient. Uh, no one's ready or prepared for it. And it, it overwhelmed my business and I got in real trouble. I started trying to play that cash flow game. Can we, can we do uh, you know, collections today and kind of delay the purchase of stuff to deliver our promises just to get some cash flow in? Because it comes a very precarious position. So a lot of people think that sales, more sales will cure things. And that's not true. More profitable sales will cure things, but more sales alone is actually very dangerous. Yeah. And this is where a lot of businesses get into trouble where it's like, well, I need some short-term cash. So why don't we sell this product or why don't we offer this deliverable and we'll get cash in the door. But then to offer that deliverable that's outside of your scope of expertise and genius, oh. it, it takes more time. It takes more resources. It may end up costing a heck of a lot more. Yeah. Yeah. And if you don't deliver on it, the customer complains. So your reputation starts being compromised. Plus, since you're learning this new thing, you're not serving the old thing. So your old customers, the ones you, you are giving the highest level of service to, you kind of diminish that usually subconsciously as you try to serve this one. So now your other customers are like, you know, it's not as good as it used to be. Maybe we should look elsewhere. It is a very precarious position. Yeah. And I agree with you that most businesses are a house of cars. They're propped up. They're propped up in a very uncomfortable way where you're just one paycheck away from utter disaster. And, and by the way, I have experienced this many weeks in a row, one week away, kind of like, wow, we just barely made payroll. Can't believe we did it. We keep growing payroll, keep growing our team. And every week we're like, oh man, I hope it's big enough. And then, uh oh, this month is a three 
uh, or four payroll check month. Uh, that's not yeah, good. Oh, what do we do? <laughs> yeah. That, that's the first 10 years of my business experience. And you know, I had a, my second company, we were on a run for $7 million of revenue. If we didn't get in every week, at least a two or $300,000 project, we were up the creek. And I, I remember weeks like it was, there was nothing going on. And I'm like, oh, I got to refinance my house. How am I going to do this? It's terrifying. It's terrifying because it was such an unhealthy business, even though sales were amazing. Well, and this is where I think some of the genius of your book comes out because you really talk about finding a business that supports your purpose in life and yeah. you know gives you prosperity and, and brings enjoyment and brings you wealth. And I think that's so true. I think people often look to business as like just being a source of, of income versus what it could be, like the lifestyle that it could create, the joy that it could create. And instead of just getting on this hamster wheel, what if there was a better way to do it? What if there was a way to profit first? And what if you could do that early on and you didn't have to sacrifice uh, the extreme amounts that a lot of entrepreneurs do? I mean, there, there's so much wisdom in the things that you talk about because you have that experience. Thank you. And you can you can have it all. You know, there, there's a concept that circulates around called pivoting and I'm actually against it uh, because it, it only addresses part of the formula. Pivot is keep on adjusting your offering until you match customer demand. That's how you generate money. And that's great. I've seen people pivot their business into something they hate. It makes money, but I can't stand it. I believe the better solution is alignment. Alignment is knowing what gives you joy and who wants that joy. Now we're selling something that they need, but it's serving your soul. When you have that aligned, now you have a business that brings happiness, wealth, it, everything comes in together. Ah, oh, that's so good. And and you said this, but by focusing on profit, you're going to build the healthiest business. I agree with you on oh. that. You know, and and that profit is not just an event; it's a habit. It's a continuous, uh, ritualistic event that uh, it's not a one time thing. It's an all the time thing. It needs to be baked into every transaction every day. And with the profit first system, when deposits come in, you're taking a percentage for profit, so it forces that. It's a reverse engineering of profit. You, you can't have a day goes by that you're not profitable by using this system. Sadly, many people think it's an event. And many people think in the US it's April 15th. That's the day when I'm going to have my profit because it's going to be in the income statement and my accountant's going to say, okay, take it out. And it's never there. Profits habit, not an event. That's right. And there's so much truth to the fact that people make a lot of their decisions emotionally, even in the world of profit by what's in their bank account. You know, how many dollars are in there? Well, now I'm really confident about my business or now I'm not confident. And the decisions that you make often are based simply on one point in time, one reference in time with some decimals and commas on a digital ledger. It's crazy. It's crazy, but that's how people are doing it. Yeah. Well, I think that you've done some great things uh, because you had success. You then kind of lost. I mean, you you lost everything and you got to a point where you're like, I got no income coming in. What am I going to do? And I was spending all this money recklessly on these these startup businesses, on these angel investments. And it's almost like I made the investment. They're not doing well. They either die or I like prop them up some more but that ends up generally costing more money. And then you have since been able to revive your business and you've built this incredible uh, company where you license out 
your technology or your idea. You've got, you know, a rev share program, I imagine, um, you know, through your licensing model. And I think that's brilliant. What, what a great way to scale a business that then has impact for so many other people. Thank you so much. And uh, I want to share a little more about that, but unfortunately I got a split in about 60 seconds. Yeah. So it's probably first professionals. And what we now have is over 600 accountants, bookkeepers, and coaches that are certified this methodology. Actually, we even do, we don't do it through a rev share. Um, they just become certified and all the revenue they generate is, is their own to keep. But it's been a great way to put guidance behind the book itself. Wow. Where can our uh, listeners and those watching find out more about you online, Mike? It's MikeMichalowitz.com, but no one can spell it. So here's the shortcut. It's MikeMotorbike.com, nickname from high school. MikeMotorbike.com, all my books are there, chapter downloads. I used to write for the Wall Street Journal for a few years. Uh, you can get that content too at MikeMotorbike.com. I love it. I've had so much fun today. Thank you for sharing your wisdom and expertise. You are the man. And to You're all of our listeners, <laughs> take action today. Move towards financial freedom, even if it's just one step. Build the life that you desire on your terms. Thank you so much, Mike. And uh, we'll check everyone else out next week. Thank you, brother. Thanks for listening to the Lifestyle Investor Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe so future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. You can also leave an honest rating and review over on iTunes. Not only do I read every single one, but it also helps me understand what content matters the most to our audience. And if you can think of one or two people who could benefit from this episode, would you share it with them right now? Who knows? Maybe they'll buy you something nice when they make their first million. If you would like access to today's show notes, including links to all the resources mentioned, visit www.justindonald.com forward slash podcast. Thanks again for listening, and I'll catch you next week for another episode of The Lifestyle Investor.